This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. We're, we're finishing up summer and I'm a little bit sad. I'm just a little down and down about it, but that's okay. You're not a fall person. Fall no. seems to be, uh, at least anecdotally, the, the favorite time of the year around no, here. No, I like sweaty, steamy North Carolina <laughs> summer. Like, just miserable and gross. I love just being miserable and gross in the summer here in North Carolina. <laughs> well, you know, there's, always, there's something for everyone. That's, that's why we're so popular in this state is that, you know, if you do actually like being muggy and sweaty, then, hey, North Carolina has that for you for a few months of the year. All right. Enough of the silliness. Yes, let's, yes, yes. let's get down to business here. We've got a wonderful show lined up today, and we're going to be talking about caregiving, of course, and we've got an author that we are very excited to speak with today, an award-winning author, actually. We've got Gretchen Stabler with us. She's the award-winning author of Mother Load, Confessions of a Reluctant Caregiver. Gretchen, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so happy to be with you both. Yes, I would normally start the show with tell us a little bit about yourself, and I, but I don't want to ruin the whole show because we're going to talk about your book and really dive in. And uh, speaking of summer, I read this book in one sitting at the pool, um, and it was wonderful. It was really wonderful. Um, so tell us a little bit about where you are now before we dive into your book, Mother Load. Okay, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> Um, I'm still living in my family home in Washington State, Southwest Washington. Um, And my mother died five years ago. Um, My book was published one year ago. So I've been deep into supporting my book out there in the world. Um, I'm a caregiver ally. I facilitate workshops about self-care. I have a website that's full of resources excuse me, as well as um, more stories about that didn't make it into the book about um, life with my mother. I'm a volunteer at Mount Rainier National Park, and I hike every chance I get. So I've been filling up these last five years after not having much time for myself. Yes, absolutely. That's so, uh, what a wonderful place to hike and volunteer. That's, that's, well, you're very fortunate to be living there. That's beautiful. I feel very fortunate. So your book, Mother Load, Confessions of a Reluctant Caregiver, tell us what made you want to write this book and how did you come up with the name? I have been a lover of memoir for a long time. And so uh, when I when I realized what I had gotten myself into after um, – volunteering to move across (laughs) the country from Wake County, North Carolina. Um, I I realized I needed help. And the first place that I turned was looking for memoirs written by Mm. others who had traveled this uh, difficult path. And I found quite a few, um, but it was clear that they had, either they were lying 
mm-hmm. or they had forgotten what it was like. Mm-hmm. And and the way you write memoir is you wait until um, the episode of your life that you're writing about is over, mm-hmm. maybe long over. And I, I didn't really care about how they felt about the experience looking back on it. I wanted to know how they got through the days. So I didn't find what I wanted. Um, and so I started a blog. I had been a longtime blogger and I started a new blog called Daughter on Duty. Oh. And I just put it all out there, my frustrations, um, what I was learning when I eventually did start to learn some things, <laughs> uh, and, and reaching out to other people, hoping to find a community. And I did. Um, there were people who had, I think, been afraid to say how hard it was and to express their frustrations because who does that? Mm-hmm. I mean, these are your parents or your your loved ones, your spouse, perhaps. And you're not supposed to say it's hard. You're supposed to be so glad that you've got this fabulous opportunity. And <laughs> I did not feel glad about it. Um, <laughs> so that's why I wrote the book. Um, Brene Brown said, uh, one day you will tell your story of how you overcame what mm-hmm. you went through, and it will become someone else's survival guide. Mm. And, and that's what I'm hoping for my book. Um, the name Mother Lode was with me from the very beginning um, when I first thought this could be a book. Um, the play on words. Mm-hmm. It was an opportunity um, to know my mother better. And it was a huge burden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the subtitle um, changed um, with the publisher. They wanted a different subtitle. So we brainstormed and I talked to people and and tried to figure out what the themes of the book were and came up with confessions of a reluctant caregiver because it's a very candid book. It doesn't really pull any punches. Um, mm-hmm. I don't make myself look very good on the page a lot of times and I don't make my mother look better than she was on the page. So it's really an honest look at what this journey is like as you're walking it. I I think that's, I, I just, I loved it. I'm such a fan because it's real. And you were very real throughout the whole book. And, and um, I think that that's important and especially in a caregiving journey and I was reading parts of it to my dad because there was so much we related with I, I just um, I really latched on one of my favorite kind of uh, plots that you you've went through it in the book is the the nursing and having the the nursing care and how your mom um, found did like some and then kind of got rid of some and you know and was kind of going around you guys to tell them their schedule and I was just thinking during the middle of COVID my grandfather did this exact same thing and we got there one day and he was like well I fired that one and I was like you did what no you you don't have a nurse now because you fired her like you weren't supposed to do that and he was just letting them go when they would show up and I was my dad and I 
Uh, you, I think your quote at one point was you. It was like standing on the in front of a train, and I sent that to my yeah. dad, and he was like, "Exactly." Like I remember that moment, and it was just so frustrating. Um, right. Did you find that writing all of the, your stories out in your blog and then this book? Did you find it therapeutic in a way for you to to kind of express these feelings and to share? Did you find sharing these stories was therapeutic? Yes, and and especially through the blog, because I was writing that, you know, my mother would go to bed and I'd sit at my computer and just pound it all out. It's like, we fired another caregiver. Yes. <laughs> Gretchen, why don't I just pay you and then you will, then I won't have to have a caregiver. And I'm like, oh no, that's not happening. <laughs> Yes, yes. So, so yes, the the blog was definitely therapeutic. And then putting it into the book, you know, I had to relive it all. (laughs) (laughs) That was a little challenging. I bet. So the book starts with you moving from good old North Carolina, here here in Raleigh now, um, across the country to care for your mom. Um, This is such a pivotal point for you and not just caregiving, but your life. And you're still in Washington. So clearly, clearly this was a pivotal point for you in making the decision to move. Yes, I... I always knew I would come back here somewhere. I'd been on the other side of the country for 36 years and Mm. homesick pretty much every day. Um, This is just home, you Mm -hmm. know, and Mm -hmm. I love it out here and I I missed it. And my sister had moved out um, from the East Coast also, my younger sister, um, several years ahead of me. And my daughter had moved out here and it was just time to come home Mm -hmm. and um my my mother was doing pretty well in her early 90s but she was she was starting to fade and um it didn't seem right for my sister to do the to bear the whole burden so i decided that it was time this was um an opportunity to get back home to um care for my family be closer to my family um and I didn't know how hard it would be. And I promised to do it for one year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I could deal with anything for one year. <laughs> My mom and I were not close. And and uh, geographically, of course, for sure, but um, in, in emotionally also. And I wasn't sure how it was going to go down. And But at one year, I could do it for a year. And of course, it plans change. It didn't turn out to be just one year. It was much longer. Mm-hmm. So it was it was opportunity and it was challenging. I can only imagine. We're speaking with Gretchen Stabler. She's the award-winning author of Motherload, Confessions of a Reluctant Caregiver, and she's sharing the story of her caregiving journey. And we're going to continue our conversation with her right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. 
Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we are speaking with Gretchen Stabler. Gretchen is an award-winning author of Motherload, Confessions of a Reluctant Caregiver. And Mary, you kind of shared the story earlier that you kind of uh, couldn't put this book down as you were reading it one day at the pool. And it's Mm -hmm. all about Gretchen's caregiving story. And just to quickly catch folks up, Gretchen uh, lived in North Carolina, relocated to Washington State to care for her mother and her caregiving journey is kind of uh, at at the early stages at this point. So let's pick up from there. Yeah, I don't want to ruin the book for everybody. So I'm just going to touch it little parts so that we can dive into some of this. Um, But I highly suggest it. It, it, The book, uh, The Motherload, is um, it is very real and it helps you as a caregiver and coming from my perspective as a caregiver, it definitely helps you feel less alone. I feel like in a lot of the journey, you feel you're on this journey by yourself. Um, and it's hard to, to get through without feeling some sort of way about it. And this, I felt with Gretchen, um, that we were together in this journey. It it was nice um, to be able to read that. So Gretchen, the first doctor's visit, the ENT appointment. Um, I want to talk about your first visit back as a caregiver in Washington. You stop at the store and you end up purchasing a watch for your mom because um, she wanted to know the time. And at this point, I felt your vulnerabil- vulnerability so clearly. You quote, I'm beginning to realize I should follow her example of remaining silent, but I'm far from putting knowledge to practice. And then you could t- you told her she, she could ask for the time, but then there was the silence. And it feels like for the first few months, you're being so careful and navigating what this new caregiving experience is. And I know that many people can relate to, to your frustrations and tiptoeing around. How did you help these moments evolve into learning how you m- managed further on down the line? Like, how did you – it's hard to navigate these. It's Yes, it's very hard. And – I could only do what I could do, you mm-hmm. know, and and I was um, kind of like a deer in the headlights for a long time. <laughs> and um, I started reading um, books about um, aging and mm-hmm. elder care and trying to figure out what was going on with her and um, trying to keep my mouth shut. And that, that was really hard because... I, I think I've always been known, I've, I've my, like my dad, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a short fuse. And <laughs> it goes out very quickly, but I, I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut when I should keep my mouth shut. <laughs> so I kind of explode and she bore the brunt of it. And, um, um, but, but as I started to learn what I needed to be doing, mm-hmm. I found it still very difficult to do it. And, and one of the biggest things was as, as she became um, more in cognitive decline Mm -hmm. to let her be right when she was not right. You know, Mm -hmm. she'd say something that wasn't true. And, and I knew what was happening with her brain and I still couldn't let her be right. I had to keep correcting her. And that was just cruel. It, and, and, Eventually, I realized that word, it's mean to not let her be right. It's not mm-hmm. helpful to anyone. 
but it took me a really long time to learn that lesson. That's interesting. I want to dive into that a little bit more. So David is is someone you bring into the picture here. David, um, we can dive into David's role a little bit, but David says at one point, agreeing with her version of reality will make her feel safe and secure. And David talks about the invention of fact. Did you feel like working with David, which um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about David's role first, but did you feel like working with him really helped shape your time as a caregiver um, and, and these moments like this where you were just agreeing with her version of reality? Mm-hmm. David saved my life. Is mm. <laughs> that... Elder care social worker, he worked with Alzheimer's patients and their families, particularly, which my mother did not have Alzheimer's. Um, She didn't really even have dementia, probably technically until Mm -hmm. the end, but definitely she was in cognitive decline. Um, And I would sit in his office and just cry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and he would let me and and he and I I always felt understood. He he even told my mother the one time that he met her, which was the beginning of our relationship, um, that what I was doing was really, really hard. Mm. And he's the one that convinced her that she, that we needed a part-time caregiver because I couldn't do it all. I had to take care of myself and I had to have time away. Um, and then I continued to see him periodically in his office and, and would just cry and tell him what had happened and he would listen and and tell me he understood it was hard and then he would give me the facts and things like she she's telling a story and and there are pieces um that she doesn't remember Mm -hmm. and so she fills in the blanks and she he said we all do that um but we're better at it so we can make it sound real and it's really close to real it's just you know not quite the truth but mm-hmm. um but she would make fabricate something that was completely incorrect and and he said just let her you know mm-hmm. let that be okay and and just say you know non-committal things like mm-hmm. i see i understand okay moving on but i had to correct her mm-hmm. and because she was a person who who liked facts and and i said that to him once but she likes facts she would not like to be wrong and he said this is not who she used to be <laughs> she's she's a different person now um so i would try to go with that but it was hard and she she'd explain how to do things to me mm-hmm. um like you know like like hang a picture on a wall. Like I'd never hung a picture on a wall. And and he said, she's reminding herself that she knows how to do these things step by step. Mm. And it's okay, you know? That's a very good perspective. And David, you know, I I think... I hear from you that David is, everyone should have their David, you know, I I expand your team and David was a big part of your journey and we'll get to it a little bit later when we talk more about self-care, but I I hear that you're suggesting everyone should have a David. Yes, everyone should have a David (laughs) and and they're out there. (laughs) Yes. Yes. 
So we get to the first hospital visit, the ED visit, and you say in your book, hospitals are not good places for the elderly, and taking her there, taking your mom there, is not a decision I have any intention of making on my own. First, I love, I want to touch here that you have a very great team approach, you and your sisters, in these moments. And um, these are not any decision, This you said it's not a decision I have any intention of making on my own, and you bring them in. So not just decisions, but you also take turns on her longer stays, et cetera. Talk to us a little bit about the importance of your team along your journey and also in these moments of like distress, honestly. You know, your mom is in the emergency room and we have no idea why. Um, and I won't get into all the details, but talk about the importance of having your team on these journeys. It's, you, you can't do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate and, and I didn't realize until much later when I started um, facilitating caregiver support groups that um, how lucky I was that both of my sisters um, were were part of this mm-hmm. with me. Um, my local sister, especially uh, my younger sister, had had done it herself when when my mom didn't need quite so much, um, but she was still here for her and and dealt with these hospital emergencies. Um, she had a, a blocked intestine, blocked mm-hmm. bowel blockage, which um, came up from time to time pretty frequently. Um, and so she was very careful of what she ate, which made cooking for her challenging. And sometimes she would think that that she needed to go to the hospital when she really didn't. But, but if she did, that's where she needed to be because she would die if mm-hmm. without it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I didn't want to make those decisions by myself. My older sister lived on the other side of the country and, um, was less involved, but she did come when I needed to get away to go visit my son and his family in, mm-hmm. in Asheville, North Carolina, for instance, or go camping. And I just needed to be away for several days, mm-hmm. um, writing retreats. And, and she would come across the country and stay with my mom, which was um, great. And and some people who don't have siblings and some people have siblings who are not involved. And to those people, I don't know how you can make a reluctant sibling be involved. I'm not sure you can, mm-hmm. but you have to find people. You have to find your village somewhere. And mm-hmm. um, so I just, I have a workbook that I give out and, and tell people just make a list of everyone you know. Don't worry about what they might do or if they might do it. Just make a list of everybody that you could ask for something and then make a list of everything you want and then see if you can match them up to their gifts. It might be someone doesn't want, won't come and stay with with your loved one um, for a couple of hours so that you could go to yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe they'll prepare a meal for you if they like to cook and just drop it off, you know. But you have to ask. Um, people don't know how they they say, "Let me know what you need," but they don't offer specifics. So you have to be ready to give them specifics when they make that offer. I love that. That's very good advice because you're right. Uh, it is hard, uh, one, to conceptualize exactly what you need and two, to uh, to voice that again is, is another challenge as well. We are speaking with Gretchen Stabler. She's an award-winning author of Mother Load Confessions of a Reluctant Caregiver. We're going to continue our conversation with her and her caregiving journey 
right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, head on over online to transitionslifecare.org. So many resources available for you there. Learn more at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. We are speaking with Gretchen Stabler. Gretchen is an award-winning author of Motherload, Confessions of a Reluctant Caregiver, and we are hearing all about her caregiving story, Mary. Yes. One of the nights that your mom was in the hospital, which we've talked about, she had blockages. And so she did a little bit of a bouncing back and forth to the hospital throughout the book. And we saw multiple breakdowns of our healthcare system, or at least I did. Um, the nurse one night when you were, uh, your mom had a long night at the hospital the next morning. Um, she, your mom said she didn't want you being called. She didn't want the family to be called. Um, and the nurse stated it was a difficult decision for staff to honor family instructions or respect patient wishes because your mom didn't want them calling you. Um, I know that this is something others have experienced. I know that my family has experienced. In this moment, you found yourself in a new role as advocate. How did this event change your perspective on being a caregiver now that you're moving into more of an advocate for your loved one. Um, did you find that this helped shape your future uh, in future hospital stays or, or dealing with the healthcare system? Well, she was in the hospital. She went to the hospital several times. They're not all in the book, mm-hmm. um, but but I think you're referring to the first time, mm-hmm. and she ended up being there for several days because she had. My sister and I were both with her when we went to the emergency room, and then she was admitted. Um, Even though they didn't think she had a blockage, they still admitted her. And she was doing fine at the end of that first day, and she said, she told us to go home. And so we did. And during the night, we're we're still not sure what happened. I think she had a, a nightmare, and she woke up very agitated and they gave her a drug to calm her down. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they gave her too much for her age and her size. I don't know. Um, she doesn't deal with drugs lately. We are uh, well, we found that out later um, when she was given an antidepressant by hospice and it didn't go well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't really know, but but all that next day she was very agitated um, and loopy and becoming frighteningly so. And they tested her for stroke and and her heart and nothing was wrong. Um, but I got really irritated that that they didn't call um, mm-hmm. when she when she 
in the middle of the night mm -hmm. and more instructions on the board in the room to call us if anything changed and and they didn't do it and that's when that conversation you related came up and how it changed was we never left her alone in the hospital again mm -hmm. not for one minute did we leave her alone in the hospital again um rebecca and i took turns being with her night and day so i she had had bad experiences in the hospital before my dad died in the hospital you know and maybe that was no one's fault but mm -hmm. i but I think it affected her. She also had a botched appendectomy, which um, was the cause of the kink in her bowel. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so she had a mistrust. And I, I don't know that other than that one night, they ever did anything wrong. Mm -hmm. but, but hospitals are just not very good places for the elderly, mm -hmm. regardless. And they need they need an advocate and a familiar face, a familiar hand touching theirs all the time. Mm -hmm. And one of the things after your first days that you talk about, and I think it's a great tip, and I want you to talk a little bit about it here for our listeners, is the bag that you had prepared for any future hospital stay. What made you, you know, think about this and come up with this? And did you find it helping you? And what was in your bag for, for anyone else going through this? <laughs> Well, the first time we went, I, I wasn't prepared, and um, I, I didn't know all her medications yet, mm -hmm. which she didn't have very many of. Most of them were over-the-counter things. Um, she had a, a heart medication um, and maybe one or two other things, but other than that, she didn't have any, but but I didn't know what they were. I was new to this, and, and Rebecca would rattle them off, and then then they would ask me again, you know, that was at the, when we, when we got to admission, then they'd take us to the ER room and, and the nurse would ask again. And then the doctor would come and ask again. And it's like, what's the matter with you people? Look at your computer. <laughs> um, so, so, and her lips were dry and I didn't have anything, you know, to, to help her. I needed lip balm. And um, so I think after that first visit, I thought, I just need to have something, you know, when, when we suddenly have to go to the hospital, like what if she fell, we wouldn't mm -hmm. have any um, advance notice at all. So I decided I needed a bag, a hospital kit. <laughs> so it had a list of her meds in it. It had her legal papers in it. Um, her had extra batteries for her hearing aid, lip balm, warm socks, an extra phone cord for me. Um, because we might have gone to the ER for five hours. I don't think it was ever any less than that. Um, or she might have been admitted and we might be there for days. So mm -hmm. um, it was just all there, ready to grab, along with a, a blanket for her and, and a pillow for me you know, or whatever. Um, but most of what she needed was in the bag to just grab and go. I love that. Uh, it's such a good tip and something that's so helpful. Um, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about your hospice journey. Hospice comes in. There are a lot of misconceptions about hospice. I'm sure that you all had had thoughts about what it may be as well. Um, but I think that your first one of your first experiences with hospice that you shared, you said, now I'm taking care of myself, too. How did hospice help you and your family as caregivers and not just your mom? Um. 
My mother was a bit of a hypochondriac, maybe more mm. than a bit of a hypochondriac. <laughs> And, and she always had been. So um, it wasn't just aging, although I think aging, um, we have a lot of fears as, as we age. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, every little ache and pain, we think, well, this is it. <laughs> um, and and she was over the top in that way. So the nurse came every week, um, the hospice nurse, and she could have come um, more often if we needed her to. Uh, she came every week and she could listen to all the complaints mm. and my mom would kind of store them up for her. And <laughs> so I didn't have to hear them all the time. Or I could say, well, the nurse will be here tomorrow. Um, you can tell her all about it. <laughs> the nurse would check her blood pressure. And at one point, her heart doctor, the last time I saw that heart doctor, we switch doctors after that he said well you might have to get a blood pressure machine and do a little work and i was so angry at him <laughs> it's like you don't know what i do you have no clue <laughs> and uh, she had a new primary care physician at that point in the primary and i told her what the doctor said and and, and what the cardiologist said and she said Oh, you don't want to do that. <laughs> She'd be wanting to have her blood pressure checked all the time. <laughs> so the hospice nurse, you know, checked her blood pressure once a week. So every time she had a little fear, we didn't have to go run into the doctor. Um, and actually, uh, when I got to the point where I was at the end of my rope that I could not do it anymore, that it was time to um, look into moving her. Um, it was the hospice nurse who raised the issue with her so that my sisters and I didn't have to do that. So just in so many ways, just, just an ear Mm -hmm. for her. There was the bath aid. Oh my goodness. The bath aid was the most miraculous (laughs) thing ever. (laughs) Um, That was the highlight of her week. And the bath aid came twice a week, I think. And, um, it gave me a break. I wasn't bathing her. She was actually bathing herself, but I was to the point where I was always close by. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bath aid was just like, you know, like having a spa day. Yes. <laughs> and so when we got kicked out of hospice because she was too healthy to qualify anymore, um, the bath aid was the first thing I thought of. Oh my gosh, we can't lose that. We can't, we can't lose our spa day. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love that. Oh, man. We're speaking with Gretchen Stabler. Gretchen is the award-winning author of Motherload, Confessions of a Reluctant Caregiver. And we're discussing that book and her caregiving journey. And we've got one more segment with her, and we'll get there right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, Traffic. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Jason Kong here with 
Mary Lucas, and we've had the pleasure today to be speaking with Gretchen Stabler. Gretchen is an award-winning author of Motherload, Confessions of a Reluctant Caregiver, and she has been sharing her caregiving journey and providing us um, some great insight and lessons learned along the way. Mary, I know this has been uh, a a conversation for you that has been impactful. Yes, I could I could talk for hours, um, and I just can't say this enough. Go get the book; it's it's really um, it's amazing. Um, and I don't want to talk anymore about hospice or anything like that. But she does do a little bit of bouncing around in hospice, which I think is a very um, good journey to read about. Um, it it takes care of a lot of the misconceptions about hospice of you can't be on it forever, and you know there anyway. Read the book. It's great. Um, but I want to move a little bit into kind of a different direction with this conversation. Gretchen, during your journey as a caregiver, you also met your grandson, um, and he was born. It's the beginning of one life and the downward of another. And you can say that, you know, we we all need other people at stages in life, dependent and independent, interdependent. And this is such a unique perspective. Talk to us a little bit about um, these, the, your perspective in these moments. You've met your grandson. You're also caregiving for your mother. The, inter- the interdependence idea came from um, Mary Pfeiffer's book, mm-hmm. Another Country Navigating the Emotional Terrain of Our Elders. And it was just an eye-opener for me. Mm-hmm. And, and especially after my grandson, this is my third grandson. I have two grandsons in North Carolina. Um, but my third grandson, Elliot, was born. And, and his, and I got, I got to go um, when both of my third and fourth grandsons were born for the first uh, year of their life. I went to Seattle and was their um, caregiver two days a week. And my sister spent the night with my mom on those days. So weekly I was with them. And so Elliot, watching him move through the stages from helpless infant to walking uh, during that year, while my mother was kind of going in the opposite direction at the other end. And, And I don't compare caring. A lot of people say, well, your mother took care of you when you were a baby. Now it's your turn to take care of her. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's completely different. Um, I don't like that analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's really no comparison. So um, realizing that, that my grandson was dependent on me um, and my mother was dependent on me, and yet it's always an interdependent. I needed things from them too. Um, and, and my mother didn't like being dependent and I, I wanted her to just figure out that, that it was okay. We all need each other all of the time through every phase and stage of our life. Mm-hmm. And just accepting it, I think would be a lot easier for for elders, um, ourselves included, when we become elders, and we all will, to just accept that we're in a different stage of life now, and we did need different things, and and let it be okay would be so much easier for everybody, both the caregiver and the care recipient, if we could just be accepting. Absolutely. Is there anything you would have done differently in your journey being a caregiver with your mother? 
oh, so many, <laughs> so many things I wish I could have done differently, which is different from uh, going back and doing it differently. Because mm-hmm. uh, um, I wish I could have been more patient. I wish I could have been more understanding. And yet, even in the moment, I knew that I would wish that I could have but I couldn't. I did the best I could in the moment. And going back and having a do-over would not have changed that. I still could only do the best I could. And it, it wasn't always good enough. Um, but I think the main thing I would have done different if I had had a crystal ball, um, I would have committed to two years instead of one, mm-hmm. because one was not realistic for what I hoped to accomplish Um during that one year, which was clean out the family home of its 50 year worth of stuff and move her to a new place, find where I wanted to live and go on about my life. Uh, that was not going to happen in a year. <laughs> so, mentally, it would have been better if I'd been prepared for, for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have talked with my mother and my sisters um, at the very beginning and made a formal plan um, about what my sharing her home was going to look like um, and about a plan for the future and knowing that we would both have to make compromises instead of me making all the compromises. I was definitely living in her home. Um, and, and that was, that was hard because I was an independent person too. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have, uh, asked her what she wanted for her living so late in the game She'd been on a uh, waiting list for a, for a mm-hmm. assisted living, independent living place for years. And the best room, the only room she would accept would come up and they'd call her and, and she'd say, not yet. And and when I came, she asked me that one more time. And I, if I was really coming to stay with her and I said I was, and she said, well, I'll turn it down then. <laughs> and it got to the point where I didn't know if she was in the house still because I was here and she thought she had to be, or if she really wanted to be mm-hmm. here, maybe she wanted to move. And I shouldn't have waited until I was at the end of my line to find out what she wanted, because I didn't consider what if she says she wants to stay here Um I didn't ask myself if I was okay with that. And I was not. And when she said, yes, she's so grateful that she could be here. Then I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? I've just committed to an indefinite time period here with her. Um, So a a friend of mine who um, a couple of years ago was navigating her own parents' future said to choose a path is to cross the river of change when the water is calm. Not choosing requires navigating the river when it's a raging current. Mm. Either way, you have to cross the river. Mm. So to have made that decision when she was 96 instead of when she was 100, which was only four years, but it was an enormous change in her physical well-being. Um, if we had made that decision earlier and been working toward that from the very beginning, instead, it was just in my head, that was what was going to happen. We didn't talk about it. Um, and we could have crossed that river of change when the water was calm and it would have been much better. 
I love that quote. I That is so powerful. And um, I really appreciate you sharing your journey. Where can people go to find, I know where to find your book, um, but where can uh, people go to find your book um, and read more about your journey and hear all these different, um, we only touched on a few pieces, everybody. Um, there's so many great stories and learning lessons. And um, where can people go to, to find your book? Uh, the print book and the uh, ebook is available wherever books are sold. Um, and you can also find me at www.gretchenstabler.com for resources um, about caregiving. And there are also links to places you could buy the book on my website. Excellent. Thank you so much, Gretchen. The website, again, GretchenStabler.com. The book, Motherload, Confessions of a Reluctant Caregiver. Gretchen, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today and sharing your story and helping give a, a relatable story to our listeners who are on their own caregiving journey right now. We really appreciate it. Thank you both. I'm so grateful to have been here. We are grateful as well. We're out of time for today. I want to remind you that if you want to listen to this episode or share it with a friend, you can go to WPTF.com, click on the podcast button. There you can find Aging Matters. You'll see this episode and all of our past episodes as well. WPTF.com, click on podcasts and find Aging Matters. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong. Thank you so much for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.